Part One of The Planet Savers by Marion Zimmer Bradley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Planet Savers, Part One. By the time I got myself all the way awake, I thought I was alone. I was lying on a leather couch in a bare white room with huge windows, alternate glass-brick and clear glass. Beyond the clear windows was a view of snow-peaked mountains which turned to pale shadows in the glass-brick. Habit and memory fitted names to all these—the bare office, the orange flare of the great sun, the names of the dimming mountains. But beyond a polished glass desk, a man sat watching me, and I had never seen the man before. He was chubby and not young, and had ginger-colored eyebrows and a fringe of ginger-colored hair around the edges of a forehead which was otherwise quite pink and bald. He was wearing a white uniform coat, and the intertwined caduceus on the pocket and on the sleeve proclaimed him a member of the medical service attached to the civilian HQ of the Terran Trade City. I didn't stop to make all these evaluations consciously, of course. They were just part of my world when I woke up and found it taking shape around me. The familiar mountains, the familiar sun, the strange man. But he spoke to me in a friendly way as if it were an ordinary thing to find a perfect stranger sprawled out taking a siesta in here. Could I trouble you to tell me your name? That was reasonable enough. If I found somebody making himself at home in my office, if I had an office, I'd ask him his name, too. I started to swing my legs to the floor, and had to stop and steady myself with one hand, while the room drifted in giddy circles around me. I wouldn't try to sit up just yet," he remarked, while the floor calmed down again. Then he repeated, politely but insistently, "'Your name?' "'Oh, yes, my name.' It was. I fumbled through layers of what felt like gray fuzz, trying to lay my tongue on the most familiar of all sounds, my own name. It was... <laughs> why, it was... I said on a high rising note, This is damn silly, and swallowed, and swallowed again, hard. Calm down, the chubby man said soothingly. This was easier said than done. I stared at him in growing panic and demanded, But, but have I had amnesia or something? Or something. What's my name? Now, now, take it easy. I'm sure you'll remember it soon enough. You can answer other questions, I'm sure. How old are you? I answered eagerly and quickly. Twenty-two. The chubby man scribbled something on a card. Interesting. Interesting. Do you know where we are? I looked around the office. In the Terran headquarters. From your uniform, I'd say we were on floor eight, medical." He nodded and scribbled again, pursing his lips. "'Can you, um, tell me what planet we are on?' I had to laugh. "'Dark over,' I chuckled. "'I hope. 
and if you want the names of the moons or the date of the founding of the trade city, or something—' He gave in, laughing with me. "'Remember where you were born?' "'On Samara. I came here when I was three years old. My father was in mapping and exploring.' I stopped short, in shock. "'He's dead.' "'Can you tell me your father's name?' "'Same as mine. Jay, uh, Jason.' The flash of memory closed down in the middle of a word. It had been a good try, but it hadn't quite worked. The doctor said, soothingly, "'We're doing very well.' "'You haven't told me anything,' I accused. "'Who are you? Why are you asking me all these questions?' He pointed to a sign on his desk. I scowled and spelled out the letters. "'Randall, Fourth, Director, Department—' and Dr. Forth made a note. I said aloud, "'It is Dr. Forth, isn't it?' "'Don't you know?' I looked down at myself and shook my head. "'Maybe I'm Dr. Forth,' I said, noticing for the first time that I was also wearing a white coat with the caduceus emblem of medical. But it had the wrong feel, as if I were dressed in somebody else's clothes. I was no doctor, was I?' I pushed back one sleeve slightly, exposing a long triangular scar under the cuff. Dr. Forth—by now I was sure he was Dr. Forth—followed the direction of my eyes. "'Where do you get the scar?' "'Knife fight. One of the bands of those who may not enter the cities caught us on the slopes, and we—the memory thinned out again, and I said, despairingly, "'It's all confused. What's the matter? Why am I up on medical? Have I had an accident? Amnesia?" Not exactly. I'll explain. I got up and walked to the window, unsteadily because my feet wanted to walk slowly while I felt like bursting through some invisible net and striding there at one bound. Once I got to the window the room stayed put while I gulped down great breaths of warm Swedish air. I said, I could use a drink. Good idea, though I don't usually recommend it." Forth reached into a drawer for a flat bottle, poured tea-colored liquid into a throwaway cup. After a minute he poured more for himself. "'Here, sit down, man. You make me nervous, hovering like that.' I didn't sit down. I strode to the door and flung it open. Forth's voice was low and unhurried. "'What's the matter?' You can go out if you want to, but won't you sit down and talk to me for a minute? Anyway, where do you want to go?" The question made me uncomfortable. I took a couple of long breaths and came back into the room. Forth said, "'Drink this,' and I poured it down. He refilled the cup unasked, and I swaddled that, too, and felt the hard lump in my middle begin to loosen up and dissolve. Forth said, claustrophobia, too. Typical," and scribbled on the card some more. I was getting tired of that performance. I turned on him to tell him so, then suddenly felt amused. Or maybe it was the liquor working in me. He seemed such a funny little man, shutting himself up inside an office like this, and talking about claustrophobia and watching me as if I were a big bug. I tossed the cup into a disposal. Isn't it time for a few of those explanations? If you think you can take it. 
How do you feel now? Fine. I sat down on the couch again, leaning back and stretching out my long legs comfortably. What did you put in that drink? He chuckled. Trade secret. Now, the easiest way to explain would be to let you watch a film we made yesterday. To watch? I stopped. It's your time we're wasting. He punched a button on the desk, spoke into a mouthpiece. Surveillance, give us a monitor on— He spoke a string of incomprehensible numbers while I lounged at ease on the couch. Forth waited for an answer, then touched another button and steel louvers closed noiselessly over the windows, blacking them out. I rose in sudden panic, then relaxed as the room went dark. The darkness felt oddly more normal than the light, and I leaned back and watched the flickers clear as one wall of the office became a large vision screen. Forth came and sat beside me on the leather couch, but in the picture Forth was there, sitting at his desk, watching another man, a stranger, walk into the office. Like Forth, the newcomer wore a white coat with the caduceus emblems. I disliked the man on sight. He was tall and lean and composed, with a dour face set in thin lines. I guessed that he was somewhere in his thirties. Doctor, forth in the film, said, "'Sit down, doctor,' and I drew a long breath, overwhelmed by a curious certain sensation. "'I have been here before. I have seen this happen before.' And curiously formless I felt. I sat and watched, and I knew I was watching and sitting. But it was in that dreamlike fashion, where the dreamer at once watches his visions and participates in them. "'Sit down, doctor,' Forth said. "'Did you bring in the reports?' J. Allison carefully took the indicated seat, poised nervously on the edge of the chair. He sat very straight leaning forward only a little to hand a thick folder of papers across the desk. Forth took it, but didn't open it. "'What do you think, Dr. Allison?' "'There is no possible room for doubt.' J. Allison spoke precisely, in a rather high-pitched and emphatic tone. "'It follows the statistical pattern for all recorded attacks of forty-eight-year fever. By the way, sir, haven't we any better name than that for this particular disease? The term forty-eight-year fever connotes a fever of forty-eight years' duration, rather than a pandemic recurring every forty-eight years. A fever that lasted forty-eight years would be quite a fever, Dr. Forth said with the shadow of a grim smile. Nevertheless, that's the only name we have so far. Name it, and you can have it. Allison's disease? J. Allison greeted this pleasantry with a repressed frown. As I understand it, the disease cycle seems to be connected somehow with the once-every-forty-eight-years conjunction of the four moons, which explains why the Dark Ovens are so superstitious about it. The moons have remarkably eccentric orbits. I don't know anything about that part. I'm quoting Dr. Moore. If there's an animal vector to the disease, we've never discovered it. The pattern runs like this. A few cases in the mountain districts. The next month, a hundred-odd cases all over this part of the planet. Then it skips exactly three months without increase. The next upswing puts the number of reported cases in the thousands. 
and three months after that, it reaches real pandemic proportions and decimates the entire human population of Darkover. That's about it, Forth admitted. They bent together over the folder, Jay Allison drawing back slightly to avoid touching the other man. Forth said, We Terrans have had a trade compact on Darkover for a hundred and fifty-two years. The first outbreak of this forty-eight-year fever killed all but a dozen men out of three hundred. The Darkovans were worse off than we were. The last outbreak wasn't quite so bad, but it was bad enough, I've heard. It has an eighty-seven percent mortality, for humans, that is. I understand the trailmen don't die of it. The Darkovans call it the trailmen's fever, Dr. Forth, because the trailmen are virtually immune to it. It remains in their midst as a mild ailment taken by children. When it breaks out into the virulent form every forty-eight years, most of the trailmen are already immune. I took the disease myself as a child. Maybe you heard? Forth nodded. You may be the only Terran ever to contract the disease and survive. The trailmen incubate the disease, Jay Allison said. I should think the logical thing would be to drop a couple of hydrogen bombs on the trail cities and wipe it out for good and all. Sitting on the sofa in Forth's dark office, I stiffened with such fury that he shook my shoulder and muttered, Easy there, man. Dr. Forth, on the screen, looked annoyed, and J. Allison said, with a grimace of distaste, I didn't mean that literally. But the trailmen are not human. It wouldn't be genocide, just an exterminator's job. A public health measure." Forth looked shocked as he realized that the younger man meant what he was saying. He said, "'Galactic Center would have to rule on whether they're dumb animals or intelligent non-humans, and whether they're entitled to the status of a civilization. All precedent on Darkover is toward recognizing them as men. And good God, Jay, you'd probably be called as a witness for the defense. How can you say they're not human after your experience with them? Anyway, by the time their status was finally decided, half of the recognizable humans on Darkover would be dead. We need a better solution than that." He pushed his chair back and looked out the window. "'I won't go into the political situation,' he said. You aren't interested in Terran Empire politics, and I'm no expert either. But you'd have to be deaf, dumb, and blind not to know that Darkover's been playing the immovable object to the irresistible force. The Darkovans are more advanced in some of the non-causative sciences than we are, and until now they wouldn't admit that Terra had a thing to contribute. However, and this is the big however, they do know, and they're willing to admit, that our medical sciences are better than theirs. Theirs being practically non-existent. Exactly, and this could be the first crack in the barrier. You may not realize the significance of this, but the legate received an offer from the Hasters themselves. J. Allison murmured, I'm to be impressed. On Darkover, you damn well better be impressed when the Hasters sit up and take notice. I understand they're telepaths or something. Telepaths, psychokinetics, parapsychs, just about anything else. 
For all practical purposes, they're the gods of Darkover. And one of the Hasters, a rather young and unimportant one, I'll admit, the old man's grandson, came to the Legate's office, in person, mind you. He offered, if the Terran medical would help Darkover lick the trailman's fever, to coach selected Terran men in Matrix mechanics. Good Lord, Jay said. It was a concession beyond Terra's wildest dreams. For a hundred years they had tried to beg, buy, or steal some knowledge of the mysterious science of matrix mechanics, that curious discipline which could turn matter into raw energy, and vice versa, without any intermediate stages and without fission by-products. Matrix mechanics had made the dark ovens virtually immune to the lure of Terra's advanced technologies. Jay said, Personally, I think Darkoven science is overrated. But I can see the propaganda angle. Not to mention the humanitarian angle of healing." J. Allison gave one of his cold shrugs. The real angle seems to be this. Can we cure the forty-eight-year fever? Not yet, but we have a lead. During the last epidemic, a Terran scientist discovered a blood fraction containing antibodies against the fever, in the trailman. Isolated to a serum, it might reduce the virulent forty-eight-year epidemic form to the mild form again. Unfortunately, he died himself in the epidemic, without finishing his work, and his notebooks were overlooked until this year. We have eighteen thousand men and their families on Darkover now, Jay. Frankly, if we lose too many of them, we're going to have to pull out of Darkover. The big brass on Terra will write off the loss of a garrison of professional traders, but not of a whole trade city colony. That's not even mentioning the prestige we'll lose if our much-vaunted Terran medical sciences can't save Darkover from an epidemic. We've got exactly five months. We can't synthesize a serum in that time. We've got to appeal to the trailmen and that's why I called you up here. You know more about the trailmen than any living Terran. You ought to. You spent eight years in a nest." In Forth's darkened office I sat up straighter, with a flash of returning memory. J. Allison, I judged, was several years older than I, but we had one thing in common. This cold fish of a man shared with myself that experience of marvelous years spent in an alien world. J. Allison scowled, displeased. That was years ago. I was hardly more than a baby. My father crashed on a mapping expedition over the Hellers. God only knows what possessed him to try and take a light plane over those crosswinds. I survived the crash by the merest chance, and lived with the trailmen, so I'm told, until I was thirteen or fourteen. I don't remember much about it. Children aren't particularly observant." Forth leaned over the desk, staring. "'You speak their language, don't you?' "'I used to. I might remember it under hypnosis, I suppose. Why? Do you want me to translate something?' "'Not exactly. We were thinking of sending you on an expedition to the trailmen themselves. In the darkened office, watching Jay's startled face, I thought, God, what an adventure! I wonder, I wonder, if they want me to go with him." Forth was explaining, 
It would be a difficult trek. You know what the Hellers are like. Still, you used to climb mountains as a hobby before you went into medical." "'I outgrew the childishness of hobbies many years ago, sir,' Jay said stiffly. "'We'd get you the best guides we could, Terran and Darkoven. But they couldn't do the one thing you can do. You know the trailmen, Jay. You might be able to persuade them to do the one thing they've never done before.' "'What's that?' J. Allison sounded suspicious. "'Come out of the mountains. Send us volunteers, blood donors. We might, if we had enough blood to work on, be able to isolate the right fraction and synthesize it, in time to prevent the epidemic from really taking hold. J., it's a tough mission, and it's dangerous as all hell, but somebody's got to do it. And I'm afraid you're the only qualified man.' I like my first suggestion better. Bomb the trailmen, and the hellers, right off the planet." Jay's face was set in lines of loathing, which he controlled after a minute, and said, I... I didn't mean that. Theoretically, I can see the necessity. Only... He stopped and swallowed. Please, say what you are going to say. I wonder if I am as well qualified as you think. No, don't interrupt. I find the natives of Darkover distasteful, even the humans. As for the trailmen... I was getting mad and impatient. I whispered to Forth in the darkness, Shut the damn film off. You couldn't send that guy on an errand like that. I'd rather... Forth snapped, Shut up and listen. I shut up, and the film continued to repeat. J. Allison was not acting. He was pained and disgusted. Forth wouldn't let him finish his explanation of why he had refused even to teach in the medical college established for Darkovans by the Terran Empire. He interrupted and sounded irritated. We know all that. It evidently never occurred to you, Jay, that it's an inconvenience to us that this vital knowledge should lie, purely by accident, in the hands of the one man who's too damn stubborn to use it." Jay didn't move an eyelash, where I would have squirmed. "'I have always been aware of that, doctor.' Forth drew a long breath. "'I'll concede you're not suitable at the moment, Jay. But what do you know of applied psychodynamics?" Very little, I'm sorry to say. Allison didn't sound sorry, though. He sounded bored to death with the whole conversation. May I be blunt and personal? Please do. I'm not at all sensitive. Basically, then, Dr. Allison, a person as contained and repressed as yourself usually has a clearly defined subsidiary personality. In neurotic individuals, this complex of personality traits sometimes splits off, and we get a syndrome known as multiple or alternate personality. I've scanned a few of the classic cases. Wasn't there a woman with four separate personalities? Exactly. However, you aren't neurotic, and ordinarily there would not be the slightest chance of your repressed alternate taking over your personality." "'Thank you,' Jay murmured ironically, 
I'd be losing sleep over that. Nevertheless, I presume you do have such a subsidiary personality, although he would normally never manifest. This subsidiary, let's call him J-2, would embody all the characteristics which you repress. He would be gregarious, where you are retiring and studious, adventurous, where you are cautious, talkative, while you are taciturn. He would perhaps enjoy action for its own sake, while you exercise faithfully in the gymnasium only for your health's sake. He might even remember the trailman with pleasure, rather than dislike. In short, a blend of all the undesirable characteristics. One could put it that way. Certainly, he would be a blend of all the characteristics which you, J-1, consider undesirable. But, if released by hypnotism and suggestion, he might be suitable for the job in hand. But how do you know I actually have such an alternate? I don't. But it's a good guess. Most repressed, forth coughed and amended, <clears throat> most disciplined personalities possess such a suppressed secondary personality. Don't you occasionally, rather rarely, find yourself doing things which are entirely out of character for you? I could almost feel Allison taking it in, as he confessed. Well, yes. For instance, the other day, although I dress conservatively at all times, he glanced at his uniform coat, I found myself buying. He stopped again, and his face went an unlovely terracotta color as he finally mumbled, A flowered red sports shirt. Sitting in the dark, I felt vaguely sorry for the poor gawk, disturbed by, ashamed of, the only human impulses he ever had. On the screen, Allison frowned fiercely. A crazy impulse. You could say that, or say it was an action of the suppressed J-2. How about it, Allison? You may be the only Terran on Darkover maybe the only human who could get into a trailman's nest without being murdered. Sir, as a citizen of the Empire, I don't have any choice, do I? J. Look, Forth said, and I felt him trying to reach through the barricade and touch, really touch, that cold, contained young man. We couldn't order any man to do anything like this. Aside from the ordinary dangers, it could destroy your personal balance, maybe permanently. I'm asking you to volunteer something above and beyond the call of duty. Man to man, what do you say?" I would have been moved by his words. Even at second hand, I was moved by them. J. Allison looked at the floor and I saw him twist his long, well-kept surgeon's hands and crack the knuckles with an odd gesture. Finally, he said, "'I haven't any choice either way, doctor. I'll take the chance. I'll go to the trailman.' The screen went dark again, and forth flicked the light on. He said, "'Well?' I gave it back, in his own intonation. "'Well?' and was exasperated to find that I was twisting my own knuckles in the nervous gesture of Allison's painful decision. 
I jerked them apart and got up. I suppose it didn't work with that cold fish, and you decided to come to me instead. Sure, I'll go to the trailman for you. Not with that Allison. I wouldn't go anywhere with that guy. But I speak the trailman's language, and without hypnosis either. Forth was staring at me. So, you've remembered that? Hell yes, I said. My dad crashed in the Hellers, and a band of trailmen found me half dead. I lived there until I was about fifteen. Then their old one decided I was too human for them, and they took me out through the Damarung Pass and arranged to have me brought here. Sure, it's all coming back now. I spent five years in the Spaceman's Orphanage. Then I went to work taking Terran tourists on hunting parties and so on, because I liked being around the mountains. I... I stopped. Forth was staring at me. You think you'd like this job? It would be tough, I said, considering. The people of the sky, using the trailman's name for themselves, don't like outsiders, but they might be persuaded. The worst part would be getting there. The plane, or the copter, isn't built that can get through the crosswinds around the hellers and land inside them. We'd have to go on foot, all the way from Carthon. I'd need professional climbers, mountaineers. Then you don't share Allison's attitude? Damn it! Don't insult me! I discovered that I was on my feet again, pacing the office restlessly. Forth stared and mused aloud. What's personality, anyway? A mask of emotions, superimposed on the body and the intellect. Change the point of view, change the emotions and desires, and even with the same body and the same past experiences you have a new man." I swung round in mid-step. A new and terrible suspicion, too monstrous to name, was creeping up on me. Forth touched a button and the face of J. Allison, immobile, appeared on the vision screen. Forth put a mirror in my hand. He said, Jason Allison, look at yourself. I looked. No, I said, and again, no, no, no. Forth didn't argue. He pointed with a stubby finger. Look, he moved the finger as he spoke. Height of the forehead, set of cheekbones, your eyebrows look different, and your mouth, because the expression is different. But bony structure, the nose, the chin. I heard myself make a queer sound, dashed the mirror to the floor. He grabbed my forearm. Steady, man. I found a scrap of my voice. It didn't sound like Allison's. Then, I'm J2? J. Allison with amnesia? Not exactly. Forth mopped his forehead with an immaculate sleeve and it came away damp with sweat. No, not J. Allison as I know him. He drew a long breath. And sit down. Whoever you are, sit down. I sat, gingerly, not sure. But the man J. might have been, given a different temperamental bias. I'd say the man J. Allison started out to be. 
the man he refused to be. Within his subconscious he built up barriers against a whole series of memories, and the subliminal threshold. Doc, I don't understand the psycho-talk." Forth stared. And you do remember the trailman's language? I thought so. Allison's personality is suppressed in you, as yours was in him. One thing, Doc. I don't know a thing about blood fractions or epidemics. My half of the personality didn't study medicine." I took up the mirror again and broodingly studied the face there. The high thin cheeks, high forehead shaded by coarse dark hair, which J. Allison had slicked down now heavily rumpled. I still didn't think I looked anything like the doctor. Our voices were nothing alike either. His had been pitched rather high, falsetto. My own, as nearly as I could judge, was a full octave deeper and more resonant. Yet they issued from the same vocal cords, unless Forth was having a reasonless, macabre joke. Did I, honest to God, study medicine? It's the last thing I'd think about. It's an honest trade, I guess, but I've never been that intellectual. You, or rather J. Allison, is a specialist in Darkoven parasitology, as well as a very competent surgeon." Forth was sitting with his chin in his hands, watching me intently. He scowled and said, "'If anything, the physical change is more startling than the other. I wouldn't have recognized you.' "'That tallies with me. I don't recognize myself.' I added, and the queer thing is, I didn't even like J. Allison, to put it mildly. If he—I can't say he, can I?" I don't know why not. You're no more J. Allison than I am. For one thing, you're younger, ten years younger. I doubt if any of his friends, if he had any, would recognize you. You—it's ridiculous to go on calling you J. too. What should I call you? Why should I care? Call me Jason." "'Suits you,' Forth said enigmatically. "'Look then, Jason. I'd like to give you a few days to readjust to your new personality, but we are really pressed for time. Can you fly to Carthon tonight? I've hand-picked a good crew for you and sent them on ahead. You'll meet them there. You'll find them competent.' I stared at him. Suddenly the room oppressed me, and I found it hard to breathe. I said in wonder, "'You were pretty sure of yourself, weren't you?' Forth just looked at me, for what seemed a long time. Then he said, in a very quiet voice, "'No, I wasn't sure at all. But if you didn't turn up, and I couldn't talk Jay into it, I'd have had to try it myself.' Jason Allison, Jr. was listed on the directory of the Terran HQ as Suite 1214, Medical Residence Corridor. I found the rooms without any trouble, though an elderly doctor stared at me rather curiously as I barged along the quiet hallway. The suite, bedroom, minuscule sitting-room, compact bath, depressed me. Clean, closed-in, and neutral as the man who owned them. 
I rummaged them restlessly, trying to find some scrap of familiarity to indicate that I had lived there for the past eleven years. J. Allison was thirty-four years old. I had given my age, without hesitation, as twenty-two. There were no obvious blanks in my memory. From the moment J. Allison had spoken of the trailman, my past had rushed back and stood, complete to yesterday's supper. Only, had I eaten that supper twelve years ago? I remembered my father, a lined, silent man who had liked to fly solitary, taking photograph after photograph from his plane for the meticulous work of mapping and exploration. He liked to have me fly with him, and I'd flown over virtually every inch of the planet. No one else had ever dared fly over the Hellers, except the big commercial spacecraft that kept to a safe altitude. I vaguely remembered the crash, and the strange hands pulling me out of the wreckage and the weeks I'd spent, broken-bodied and delirious, gently tended by one of the red-eyed, twittering women of the trailmen. In all, I had spent eight years in the nest, which was not a nest at all, but a vast, sprawling city built in the branches of enormous trees. With the small and delicate humanoids who had been my playfellows, I had gathered the nuts and buds and trapped the small arboreal animals they used for food, taken my share at weaving clothing from the fibers of parasite plants cultivated on the stems, and in all those eight years I had set foot on the ground less than a dozen times, even though I had traveled for miles through the tree roads high above the forest floor. Then the old one's painful decision that I was too alien for them, and the difficult and dangerous journey my trailman foster-parents and foster-brothers had undertaken, to help me out of the Hellers and arrange for me to be taken to the trade city. After two years of physically painful and mentally rebellious readjustment to daytime living, the owl-eyed trailman saw best and lived largely by moonlight, I had found a niche for myself and settled down. But all of the later years, after J. Allison had taken over, I suppose, from a basic pattern of memory common to both of us, had vanished into the limbo of the subconscious. A book-rack was crammed with large microcards. I slipped one into the viewer, with a queer sense of spying, and found myself listening apprehensively to hear that measured step and J. Allison's falsetto voice demanding what the hell I was doing, meddling with his possessions. I to the viewer, I read briefly at random something about the management of compound fracture, then realized I had understood exactly three words in a paragraph. I put my fist against my forehead and heard the words echoing there emptily. Laceration, primary effusion, serum and lymph, granulation tissue. I presumed that the words meant something and that I once had known what. But if I had a medical education, I didn't recall a syllable of it. I didn't know a fracture from a fraction. In a sudden frenzy of impatience, I stripped off the white coat and put on the first shirt I came to, a crimson thing that hung in the line of white coats like an exotic bird in snow country. I went back to rummaging the drawers and bureaus. Carelessly shoved in a pigeonhole I found another microcard that looked familiar, and when I slipped it mechanically into the viewer it turned out to be a book on mountaineering, 
which, oddly enough, I remembered buying as a youngster. It dispelled my last lingering doubts. Evidently, I had bought it before the personalities had forked so sharply apart and separated, Jason from Jay. I was beginning to believe. Not to accept. Just to believe it had happened. The book looked well-thumbed, and had been handled so much I had to baby it into the slot of the viewer. Under a folded pile of clean underwear I found a flat, half-empty bottle of whiskey. I remembered Forth's words that he had never seen J. Allison drink, and suddenly I thought, the fool! I fixed myself a drink and sat down, idly scanning over the mountaineering book. Not till I'd entered medical school, I suspected, did the two halves of me fork so strongly apart. So strongly, that there had been days and weeks, and, I suspected, years, where J. Allison had kept me prisoner. I tried to juggle dates in my mind, looked at a calendar, and got such a mental jolt that I put it face down, to think about when I was a little drunker. I wondered if my detailed memories of my teens and early twenties were the same memories J. Allison looked back on. I didn't think so. People forget and remember selectively. Week by week then, and year by year, the dominant personality of Jay had crowded me out, so that the young, rowdy, more than half Darkoven, loving the mountains, half homesick for a non-human world, had been drowned in the chilly, austere young medical student who lost himself in his work. But I, Jason, I had always been the watcher behind, the person J. Allison dared not be. Why was he past thirty, and I just twenty-two? A ringing shattered the silence. I had to hunt for the intercom on the bedroom wall. I said, "'Who is it?' an unfamiliar voice demanded. "'Dr. Allison?' I said automatically, "'Nobody here by that name,' and started to put back the mouthpiece. Then I stopped and gulped and asked, "'Is that you, Dr. Forth?' It was, and I breathed again. I didn't even want to think about what I'd say if somebody else had demanded to know why in the devil I was answering Dr. Allison's private telephone. When Forth had finished, I went to the mirror and stared, trying to see behind my face the sharp features of that stranger, Dr. Jason Allison. I delayed, even while I was wondering what few things I should pack for a trip into the mountains, and the habit of hunting parties was making mental lists about heat-socks and windbreakers. The face that looked at me was a young face, unlined and faintly freckled, the same face as always except that I'd lost my suntan. J. Allison had kept me indoors too long. Suddenly I struck the mirror lightly with my fist. "'The hell with you, Dr. Allison,' I said and went to see if he had kept any clothes fit to pack. End of Part 1